My name is Anatoly Gaifman and I'm uh, Vice President of Medical Devices here at H1. Uh, and on uh, the podcast today, I have Omar Khatib. Omar, could you introduce yourself, please? Absolutely. Anatoly, it's a great pleasure to be here. So my name is Omar. I'm Khatib. Um, just kind of like quick background on me. I'm a former medical device rep. I carried it back for a couple of years, 10 years ago at a place called Mazor Robotics. It was the first robotic spine surgery company. Uh, went into marketing, really focused on sales at scale, and essentially two things in my career are highlighted, which is um, understanding technology adoption, and more specifically, the psychology behind persuasion, right? So um, after doing that for 10 years, I decided to start my own company this year that focuses on helping med tech companies uh, grow sales pipeline and drive product adoption without stepping into a hospital, specifically using social media. That's awesome. Thanks, Omar. Uh, and you might have seen Omar on social media, on LinkedIn, very active there. Um, and I know that um, you're talking a lot about how social media is impacting the medical technology profession, the medical technology sales profession. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, uh, when when a surgeon or hospital CEO or a nurse puts on their work outfit and goes to work, they don't suddenly become a different person. They're the same person that they are at home, which is being conditioned by uh, the biggest, most powerful companies on planet Earth, Amazon, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Um, and so the B2B buyer is still a consumer. And so as a consumer, if look, you know, I, I as you know, I'm talking to you from my uh, uh, massive and very uh, cool library. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> um, if I told you about a book, like, for example, one of my favorite books on uh, venture capital, my, my good friend Bruce Cleveland wrote Traversing the Traction Gap. You respect me. We're friends. But before you buy this book, you're going to go look it up on Google. Maybe you go straight to Amazon um, and, and look it up. Maybe, maybe for you to be persuaded by this book, you need to see like over 100 five-star reviews. Or maybe if you're like me... Um, you know, I want to see some reviews, but then also I'm going to go and read a couple of the reviews. Maybe I want to see some contents of the book. Maybe I want to know, like, are some other people in the venture community reading this book? There's a different set of formula for persuasion for us to change our behavior and adopt something, right? And it's the same thing for the B2B buyer. And so the B2B buyer, when they think about adopting any technology, whether it's a SaaS tool or a device or anything else, they're going to try and get information online. And they're going to talk about it with their peers. And so these digital channels are there where, our, where we are spending our leisure time. We are making decisions. We're educating ourselves. We're entertaining ourselves. And that's also where we make decisions. This uh, brain that sits in our skull is a millennia old. It has not evolved. The digital world and the physical world, keep in mind, I said physical, not real world. Both mm -hmm. of these things are the real world. Right. There is no difference between these two things. Right. Yeah, and and so I, I think the meta story here is uh, buying buying is changing, um, and it it has changed has um, has changed has changed Amazon. Yeah. I mean, like look at Amazon uh, today versus uh, 2020, uh, 2000, Right? No one thought anything was going to happen from Amazon. Four dollars a share today. Half of the world buys from Amazon. Right? Uh, absolutely. Um, and and look. Uh, I just want to point, I'm glad you brought that up. Something that just happened to my business yesterday. And this is the point about how fast you have to be to adjust things. I sell an online, you know, I have an online sales training program, community events. One of my programs I have, you know, uh, costs a couple thousand bucks. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not a, a whole lot of money for, for a professional making six figures. And so at the beginning of the year, it was very easy for me to get people to essentially just, you know, they use a credit card, they buy it, that's it. Well, in the, in the last couple of years, what's been happening is companies like Affirm, Shop, uh, you know, Amazon even, they give you this option to buy something with zero interest payments, right? Like I bought, I bought some, you know, I make, I'm, I make a good living, but I bought some, uh, what was it? I think I bought some clothes recently, like from some gym, gym clothes. And I think my checkout was like 80 bucks and they gave me an option. They're like, you know, uh, pay now, or would you like to break this up into, uh, four installments that, that are at zero interest paid over three, you know, uh, like every two weeks. And I said, 
at zero interest. Yeah, I'll do that. And people so, are giving you free money. You take it. Yeah, exactly. And so the average buyer, the consumer is being conditioned that, hey, for 80 bucks, even though you can pay it right now, why not put it in payment plans? So now in my business, whether I like it or not, I have to have that option, even for something as little as like a little hundred dollar product I have. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to, whether I like it or not, you know? So that's the thing about the market is that the market's changing faster and the people who win not only adjust with the market, but they use data to do that beforehand. So it's really interesting. Um, this is uh, very um, similar, I think, in some ways to the shift that happened, um, you know, let's say 20 years ago, started happening 20 years ago with software, where you used to buy on-premise software at a single cost. And now, and now you don't buy that. You, you mostly buy monthly or annual subscriptions to software. And, but it also changed the way that companies think about software, right? Not, not just the buyers, but also the sellers. Um, so, for example, I, I build a, a subscription software product, right? And the way that I think about my software is people buy me every month or every year. They don't buy me once, right? And so exactly. um, it creates an incentive for me and, and a huge, huge financial incentive, but also, in a, you know, like other, other types of incentives to continue driving the value for our customers. Like, how is that changing in MedTech? Tell me a, a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. No. So then, you know, I think, and the question is specifically about the buying behaviors, right? Right. So buying so behavior and how financing is kind of changing that uh, even from for capital. Yeah, like, so yeah, two very good questions. So let's start with the buying behavior. On the buying behavior, we have some macroeconomic uh, factors happen that these things have been going on for a long time. COVID accelerated. Um, back in 2008, uh, there's a company uh, called Health Monitor. They they surveyed like uh, 400,000, 435,000 physicians and asked, if you received um, outbound requests from a sales rep to meet, how often do you meet with them? And 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 they said, you know, a, a an accessible physician said 70% of the time. So to be called an accessible physician, that means seven out of 10 times, you say, yeah, I'll take the call. 2008, that was 80%. 80% of physicians were rep accessible. Every year that went down and down and down until in 2016, it was almost half the number. So in 2016, there was about 44% of physicians were actually rep accessible. And when they were accessible, that means the rep had like two minutes to really talk to them, okay? Now, I'm not a mathematician, but based on that trend, what do you think that number is six years later, plus the added catalyst of COVID? It's, it's probably less than 10%, right? So now it's becoming harder to get a hold of the physician. There's consolidation happening in the market, meaning that there, there's not even the little standalone hospital down the street is owned by somebody, right? Okay. Which means the buying cycles are longer. There's more decision makers involved. It's more difficult. The surgeon who adopted robotics in 2000, who went to the CEO of the hospital said, hey, you better buy this for me or I'm taking 25% of my cases across the street. Well, guess what? That surgeon now works for the hospital that that they're trying to make that decision. And the hospital across the street is also owned by the same entity. And so physicians, when it comes to their buying behavior, if they're going to push for a technology, they need to make sure it's the right one because they may, that might be the only capital purchase that they're given for the next three to five years. And it makes it harder for startups because look, doctors aren't stupid. They see technology now with the internet, they see companies come and go. So the last thing you want as a doctor is to go Put all your political capital into some technology, all you know. Push hard. It's a great technology, but let's say this company's run by an idiot. They don't raise money, and now they're out of business. So you just burn that that political capital as a physician. So there's a lot of buyer hesitation, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and then on the financing side, look, I've been in this game for for a while, not as long as some of my peers. I've been doing this for like two, three, four decades, but you know. I had a father who was a surgeon. Um, I went to medical school and then I've been doing this for a little over 10 years. Even when times were rolling, right? Pre-2008, pre when people were, the, the whole world was partying and spending money, hospitals didn't have money. Right. There's a, there's a saying I tell people, it comes from the uh, uh, um, like door-to-door uh, uh, -door sales world. 
buyers are liars. I went and bought a, I bought a new car just to, it's true, man. Look, I bought a new car a few months ago. I can afford that car. It's no problem. You know what I told the salesperson? I'm like, man, I don't know. It, it's, it's a little bit too rich for me. I don't, I don't think I can afford that. You know, just maybe not the right time. Buyers are liars. So hospitals, no matter what, they're never going to say, oh yeah, we got money. They're never going to tell you that. But the question is, does the hospital have money for you? Right? And so in my own business, and the same thing with MedDevice, pricing, we have a whole conversation about that. Being creative around pricing makes it easier to adopt the product. So for example, if you're trying to sell capital to a hospital, can you say, hey, you don't have to buy the equipment. We can do a lease to own this model. Can you say, hey, look, you don't even have to pay for the, le for the lease. We will place the capital in your hospital for free. We'll service it, everything. We just want you to cover the cost of disposables. So you have to think what kind of, what matrix of things do you need to put so that way you can, you know, lower the, the barrier for entry. The, the sad thing about the Sanatoli is um, when it comes to capital equipment like robotics, you have the big players adopting robotics or acquiring them, and they're just using the technology as a Trojan horse to get their implants in, which means that they devalue the technology. They throw it in like a tchotchke item. Like, hey, oh, you signed this contract. We'll throw this robot in. You know, so this, this, these factors are starting to happen, which means as much as I love robotics, it pains my heart to say this. Even robotic platforms are becoming a commodity, you know, and that's why data data is data has been for a long time and really is the new gold. You know, it is liquid gold. Yeah, it's um, you know we're certainly seeing um, we're certainly seeing that trend, the bundling trend, and and you know again uh, parallel software, right? Parallels technology where there are these cycles of bundling and unbundling that happen all the time, right? So like when we, when technology bundles, uh, un unbundles things and because there's innovation and there's like more margin and more leverage you can get from the unbundling, but then also the bundling uh, that happens, like look at what happened with uh, television to cable to Netflix. Exactly. Right? That is bundling, exactly correct. Unbundling. And now we're going back to bundling, right? Disney Plus, Nat Geo, P uh, Peacock, Hulu, Peacock is all of them one. together. Yep. Yeah, that's 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 true. So we're we're in that interesting phase. So uh, cycles of innovation sort of dictate some of these um, some of those things. And and I think like as a practitioner and also like a follower of cycles of innovation, I think you're 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 catching the right. Um, I think think you're surfing the right wave. It's it's really interesting. Um, you, you mentioned something about hospitals. They, they were never swimming in cash. It kind of brings me to a topic I wanted to talk to you about. So, you know, um, we both work in medical technology with medical technology salespeople and commercial teams. Um, I'm sure everyone's heard that, uh, has seen the news, you know, hospitals are not doing that great um, post COVID uh, pandemic, but also because of all of the other macroeconomic factors, especially for example, um, Inflation, right? Uh, salary increases for all of the staff, driving down margins. Tell tell us a little bit about that. How is how is that going to be a headwind in the next few years? And and what do you think uh, uh, medical technology commercial teams can uh, team can do to mitigate some of those headwinds? Yeah, you know, um, again, buyers are liars, right? So these these mm. same hospitals are saying, oh man, times are really tough right now, everything they all reported massive profits last year, like just, you know, and they had layoffs happen and everything. So I'm not saying that, that, that it's actually untrue that they're having revenue issues, but when it comes to the business of medicine, things have to make sense. Right. And if you look at the complexity of getting a technology into a hospital, right, you have to really take into, it's not enough just to have, a technology that clinically makes a lot of sense and shows great results. That's just not enough because if what they're using works and it works good enough, that's what they're going to continue using. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's this uh, uh, sales model. I won't mention the sales model because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to disparage anybody's work that I think is a good sales model, but their premise is that great sales all starts with an insight. And I disagree. I don't think sales starts with an insight. Like I didn't, I didn't wake up today and buy something 
as a B2B buyer or as a consumer because of an insight. I bought something the way everybody buys something because I had pain. There's something wrong and the pain was big enough. The problem was big enough. The fear was large enough that I said, I'm going to change my behavior and buy this. And so the hospital, what, what sales teams can really do well is stop acting like used car salesmen, which by the way, that's actually an insult to used car salesmen because at least used car salesmen are, are very good at persuasion. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that it's not enough just to show up and do a fancy product presentation and you know point out like, oh, look, we have this clinical evidence that shows we are 10% better. You have to really understand how the business of medicine works, which means you have to have a strong economic story. You got to have a strong clinical story. You have to be a master of workflow and efficiencies. You have to paint a very big, painful picture of where the hospital is today with this thing and how that's going to be a lot worse in the future and how your product or service is going to serve as a vehicle to take them away from this pain today and deliver them to a desired future which means you have to think beyond just the problem that you solve, right? That's why the old saying is really true. Sales great salespeople are problem solvers, which means if your technology improves patient outcomes, clinical efficiencies, what does that mean for the bottom line of the hospital? What does that mean for the patient? This is all about the patient, right? Sure. You know, so... Uh, you know, it's a very complicated question, but again, it starts with understanding the problem really well at a micro and macro level and also using data to support it. Now, data is not going to always be available, but when it's available, there's plenty of it. How does the, how do the numbers persuade, right? Mm -hmm. And, and one quick thing, I know I kind of went on a bit of a rant here. No, it's, it's great because I, I, I got a lot of, a lot of follow-ups from it, but oh, please perfect. continue. I'm going to uh, I'm going to quote my my good friend and mentor from afar, the great Scott Adams, who predicted the 2016 election two years in advance, and sure. he told me this many times, and I agree with him. We live in a world where facts do not matter. It's just true. The only time facts matter is at the end when you're trying to objectively justify this emotional decision you made. So you cannot lead with here are the numbers, and this is why you should do it. That's why you always start with what's the pain they're dealing with today? What is the problem? How do I amplify that? How do I make it very visual? And then when they're at the point where they say, yeah, I don't like how this feels, then it's like, okay, here's the data. Here's the objective reasoning behind why you can make this behavior change. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. That's great. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have a reflection and then a few follow-up questions. So the reflection is um, in software, like you want to be selling a painkiller and not a vitamin. Absolutely. Right? So like something needs to hurt before someone wants to pull out their wallet. And I think it's very similar for, um, for, for any type of sales, right? Like you are not going to buy a new car unless you needed something and something was hurting. Sometimes, of course, it's like, you know, for, for, for uh, personal satisfaction reasons, et cetera, maybe a car is not a good example, but, but certainly there's many it's a great types example. of products. There's, oh, always, yeah. there's always a pain there, man. Look, if some single guy buys a Lambo, it's not just purely at a desire. The underlying pain is that guy is tired of not being seen as successful Fair point. And the Lambo is a, is a void for that. Everything is in that filter. It's just so subconscious. It's under the water. We just don't believe in it, but it's, it's true. Sure. You know? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. So, um, so one, so like the one takeaway that I'm hearing is be a pain, be, be, become a painkiller. Don't be a vitamin. Right. Um, and then the, the other uh, interesting point, and, and, you know, I think you, uh, you alluded to it and you actually mentioned it in some ways, but um, the folks that are buying, Medical technologies are not just physicians, right? For physician preference items, increasingly, they're not even physicians, but certainly not for capital, right? So, um, yeah, and, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. I'm sure you work um, with folks all the time that are not selling to physicians. They're selling to committees. They're committees that are not always clinically focused, not only clinically focused, at least. And, um, you know, the skills to sell into those committees are different than the skills to sell into physicians. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what are the, um, I, I know, um, 
maybe you can tell us a little bit about this idea called the skill stack. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about like, what are the top skills that a medical technology rep needs to have in, um, in, in, in this new world? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And so you had two questions there. Give me a guidepost. Which one do you want me to go with? And I, I love the questions you ask, but brevity isn't my thing. And I'm, and I'm trying, yeah, and I'm trying to, so let's, let's just start with, um, with the, the complexity of the buyer. Complexity of the buyer. That's yeah. a good one. Even, look, let's just take, take, every, everyone can agree that selling to a hospital, even an ASC is difficult. Let's just say you sell to a private medical practice, right? And you have like medical billing software. The doctor, there's, it's, you think there's really one decision maker? There's more than one, right? Because there's more, there's more than one person who's going to persuade them. When I sell my program, I've talked to salespeople who are in an immense amount of pain, right? They, they need this help. They, they want to do everything, but they didn't sign up. Why? Because I didn't give them the right level of justification or the right answer for how they're going to explain this to a spouse or, or some, and even though they're, you know, they might be the decision maker and the spouse is like, yeah, do whatever you got to do in their mind. That's an important sign off. Right? It's a stakeholder. It's, it's a stakeholder, right? It's a stakeholder, yeah. So, so when it comes to to uh, to skill stacking, so uh, Scott Scott Adams calls it a talent stack. Uh, I like skill stack um, because just it rolls off the tongue. But like, you know, one thing that um, that I think is valuable there's there's a saying. The world is full of proverbs that are misunderstood, and the saying is um, uh, "jack of all trades, master of none." Right. Mm -hmm. The thing that people don't realize is that that's half the quote. It's actually jack of all trades, master of one, but still better than a master of one. And we live in a complicated world. And so it's on rare occasion being a specialist is good. So actually, let me take a step, step, back, step back. There is a lot of value being a specialist. Like I, you know, I love that quote, by the way, because I, I yeah, consider yeah. myself a, a jack of all trades and master of none. But it's but, more valuable. It's it's totally more. And I guarantee you, there's this concept in marketing called the T-shaped marketer, where you have a bunch of skills on the top of the T that you're you're pretty good at. Like for right. me, I'm I'm I know some SEO. I'm pretty good at paid advertisement. I'm doing this. What's my T that I'm like very very deep in? Persuasion, right? Co persuasion copywriting. And so um, it is important as a business owner, like you can take this from, okay, uh, who, when, when your toilet breaks, who are you going to call? The home improvement company or the plumber? Right. You call the plumber, right? You right. know? Um, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but that being said, as a salesperson, stacking skills is the most valuable thing you can do. And the reason why is because there's multiple facets to being a salesperson. You have to be good at writing copy. Otherwise, nobody's going to open your email. You have to be good at creating some content. Other one, otherwise, why would anybody take a meeting with you? You have to be pretty good at getting attention. Otherwise, how are you going to persuade? Right? So by themselves, you may not be the best in the world at it. But when you stack these skills together, that's when you become a force to be reckoned with. You know, if we're, since we're talking about Scott, and, and this is his words, not mine. He's a great example. He's not the world's best writer. He's not the world's best uh, comedian. He's definitely not the world's best artist. Scott, I love you. I'm just quoting your words, not mine. But when you combine these things together, he's made tens of millions of dollars, and he's one of the one of history's like most successful syndicated cartoonists because of that. Mm -hmm. Salespeople By the have way, to think of it the same way. For, for folks who don't know Scott Adams, he's the creator of Dilbert. Yes, and I highly recommend you buy his books yeah. because they'll change. He's if you want to buy, you want to buy one book that Anatoly and I are this concept of stacking skills and systems, how to fail at everything and still win big, kind of the story of my life. That's the name of the book. Buy that book, you'll thank me later. But sorry, kind of a big sidebar. But going back to salespeople, you know, it's not enough for a salesperson just to be good at like closing, right? This is the one right. misconception that they that they mistake. If if you and I are let's say competitors, and your closing percentage is twenty five percent, my closing percentage is seventy five percent. That's a massive difference, 
Mm-hmm. Most people. But how say, many at bats do you get? That's ah. The see, this is why we get along very well. <laughs> this is why, even with my own program, the 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 approach I've taken, which like I don't know how sales training companies or all these sales, supposed sales gurus. I, I don't I don't consider myself a guru. If it, you ever talk to anybody who says that they're a guru, they don't know what they're doing. Right? It's just 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 it's a heuristic. But it's about packing pipeline. How many at bats do you get? Because if 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 I get if I'm able to do more volume than you, I do a thousand cold calls. I'm able to get of those thousand, five hundred on the phone, and of those five hundred, I get fifty into my pipeline, and you just get ten. Like I, I just I the math wins out, right? It's very, very simple. And right. so because of this concept I just said. That's why having a skill stack helps. Knowing a little bit about marketing, knowing a little bit about persuasion, knowing a little bit, you know, a- am I the best at LinkedIn? I- I'm actually not. You're pretty, you're pretty good. You're I'm pretty, pretty good damn now. good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 definitely, I'm definitely in the top 1%. But because of that, when I go to Instagram, I'm not the best at Instagram, but I know Instagram pretty well. I have a good following on there. Same on Twitter. Just started a TikTok, right? And so when you develop a skill stack and a system, the combination of those two things allows you to leverage no matter what market you're in, no matter what economy. And like, look, we're in the time of inflation and we're in, a, in, a, in an economic depression, right? My revenue hasn't been higher. Why? It's not by accident, right? And I think it's the same thing in medical sales. Yeah, it's, it's very true. So what I'm hearing then is, look, it, it, it's... Don't focus too much on being amazing at any one thing, but do understand that there are a number of skills, like there are a number of, you know, there are a number of columns in your pipeline, right? And each of those columns has an ad ad skill that will push the person to the next pipe, to the next stage in your pipeline. Exactly. And, and, and just to be clear, a, a human being or a, a person listening to this should not confuse a product, like what what a really good product is or service versus what um, a good like professional is. As a good professional, you should have a skill stack. You should have a system. You should be good at a, at a bunch of different things. As a product though, it is very important. The niches are in the riches. Focus on one specific thing. My sales sales program and the events and community I have, I have people, so I actually, I have surgeons who have signed up for it. Mm. Okay. I've had people in software sign up. It's applicable to everything. I'll get to that at some point in the future. I'm very clear. This is for medical sales reps, right? Right. The, the, and, and even for me, I don't feel like that's specific enough. The more you niche down, the better. Cause then when you go very, very deep and owning a problem, when you, when you name up, when you're able to name the problem, claim the problem, tame the problem, frame the problem. You own the solution, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's the other thing salespeople do not. Salespeople are trying to be masters at their product. Nobody cares. Every everybody, you can get a, I can get a monkey to be a master of the product, but are you a master of the problem? Because guess what? When if you monitor your behavior and understand how your brain works, you will become a better salesperson. When you have a, when you're trying to buy something, it's not under the guise of gaining anything. It's because you have a problem, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so you search based on queries around a problem. And then when you want to pay attention to something, it's because it has to do with a problem or pain. And then when you pay with your time, it's because the person you're talking to is a master about that problem. Yeah. Those are the salespeople Ex- who win. Expertise sells. Expertise sells. Understanding the problem, understanding the solution space, and being consultative. So maybe maybe that's the next thing we go to is, look, I mean, we we know that, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of stuff already where um, in, in this conversation where you're talking to a diverse audience. You're not talking just about clinical. You're talking about the, you know, the entire life cycle of your, of your product or your service. And whether you sell med tech or capital or, or, or you sell, you know, implantable devices, it's, it's not too dissimilar. Um, and so understanding the solution space is really important and being a consultative salesperson. So like, what does that mean to you? Like we, I know that word gets thrown out a whole lot. Uh, yeah, consultative, yeah, all right? the time. 
Right. Let's, but what does that what does that actually mean? Like, tell me, like, what are the traits of a consultative salesperson? Yeah. Let's start with what does it take to get to that point? Because that's because everyone wants to j- jump to jump to the consultative part. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out this framework and this very very simple framework will explain a lot of things in life. In order for somebody to pay money for something, they need to first pay with their time, which is a lot more valuable than the money actually. Mm-hmm. And before somebody pays you with their time, they need to pay attention. Okay. And so that concept is important because as a salesperson, if one is my recommendation to salespeople, do never, I don't care how good you are, do not go work for a company where you don't deeply into your bones believe in the product and how it solves a problem. Just don't do it. Do not do it. Okay. Now, let's say you're at a company and you sell a widget and your widget is good, but it's really not that much different than somebody else's widget. So like, what do you do in that point? A lot of people sell commodities. Salespeople need to realize that even though it's a digital world, we still like to buy from people we trust and like. And as a salesperson, I can productize myself. Because even if you sell a, a widget and, and this widget means that you go and show up once a month or once a quarter to deliver it and that's it, you're, prod- you're part of that process, your product. Mm-hmm. And so I buy a lot of books. Here's a really cool book. Just, and for those people who are not paying, who can't see this, it's just got a, it's a hardcover book. It's got a red cover on it. That's it. And let's just say this book is um, uh, how to get somebody's attention. Okay, cool. Now, let me just add this cover to the book, which is a beautiful white glossy cover. It's got a bunch of white butterflies, and there's one red butterfly in the middle. And then the title is Impossible to Ignore. In one second, the contents of this book did not change. The wrapper did. Hmm. And so the wrapper of a salesperson, and this is why on on LinkedIn I say put those into your headline and and find a way to do this. Become a person of interest. If you're into a certain hobby, you're into hunting, you're into jujitsu like me, you're a proud husband and father like me, all these things. Create that wrapper. Where so if somebody's going to pay attention to you, that might get their attention. And if they're going to pay with their time, they might just say, I'm going to just take this meeting because this person, they seem very interesting. Because you have to spend time. And look, man, when when, I don't know about you, when I take a time to get a pitch by a vendor, part of it is entertainment for me. It's like hanging out, right? It's certainly a learning experience every time I do it. Yeah, 100%. And so... And so that's that's enough to get paid to pay attention, pay time. Now let's get to the root of your question, which is what does it take to consult? Mm-hmm. Consulting before you're able to consult, you need to be very good at shutting the hell up and asking questions. Again, I'm a solopreneur right now. I'm I'm growing a company. What I've noticed, the more I keep my mouth shut, the more my revenue goes up. Right. And, and, and it took and, me several years to figure that out, by the way. It's amazing. Right. It's, and for me, it's, it's, it's a one on one transactional thing. It's, it's like very clear, you know. I, you know, um, and so, and so I'm going to answer this question, but I want to provide some tips for people too. Okay. I would so, love that. That would be cool. So the first thing is there's a lot of information online about your buyer. They have a LinkedIn page. Maybe they have a Twitter. Maybe they have an Instagram. They have a faculty page. Go. You should create a psychological profile of it. What were the last five or 10 publications they had? What was the first publication they did in like 30 years ago um, on LinkedIn? Do they post anything? What did they post? What was the last thing they liked? Did they write any recommendations? Who did they recommend? And then you can pull what's the language they use? What are the exact words? When they talk about, um, when they recommend somebody, do they say that this person does a spectacular job? of supporting the team or do they say they do a fantastic job of driving results because then when you're talking about a consult instead of using the word fantastic maybe you say use the word spectacular if they use analogies such as physical analogies getting the ball over the line i got to get the bull by the horns etc or they use visuals i can't see the light i got to see the end of this now you know the language to use which this is all a hypno this is all like hypnosis based to do that. 
I, I'm I'm kind of going on a tangent here. So no, no. So this I'm gonna, is, I'm gonna um, bring I'm gonna bring it this back. Is great. So this is like this is a big part of what you like studied with persuasion, right? Is is yeah. how to and, reflect people back to them so they hear themselves in you, endearing yourself to them, right? In some ways, exactly. And 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 when you sit down to do a consult, let's just say perfect example, you're trying to get a, get a, talk to a surgeon. They finally give you time. You sit down. Here's what you don't do. You don't start by saying, hey, um, tell me about your practice. You know why? Because every other rep asks that exact same question. That's why doctors don't want to meet with their reps. It's like, great, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carve out 30 minutes of time I don't have to have this guy or gal ask me the same question everybody else asked me. This is how, this is how you start, okay? Uh, can you give me a scenario? Give me a, give me a surgeon special. We're going we're gonna to role play real quick. That's, oh, that's totally. the best way to do it. Lo- love it, love it. You're, okay. you're selling um, – you're selling spine implants. It's a uh, you know like a, a big market. Phoenix has okay. uh, lots of competition. You're you're representing uh, top like five spine implant company. Got it. Okay. So I meet with I meet with a doctor. It's like uh, Dr. Gaithman. Hey, thanks for thanks for carving out time. I'm really happy. You're very busy. I'm also very busy. I'm so happy we're able to like find some time to meet. I read a lot about your practice. I noticed like uh, back when you did your residency at Mayo Clinic, uh, you were really big on robotic surgery. I, I read your publication back then. And, you know, I caught up a lot in your practice. So I, I know a lot about, about what you do. Can you start by just telling me what, what are the things that you wish were different? You know, like what's, what's a frustrating day look like for you? And I know it may not have anything to do with what, I'm, what my product is, but I just want to understand Right. right. So now I'm now I'm now I'm 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 basically divulging my 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 fears and wants to you, right? Um, exactly. And now let's I'm say talking about what I need. Yeah, and let's say it's an implant. Let's so sure. you so I sell implants, but you go and say, yeah, you know, um, one of the things that's really frustrating to me is scheduling surgeries. It's just a really mm. bad process and everything. I'm like, really? I'm like, tell me more about that. What 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 about that's frustrating? It's like, oh, it's this and that and that and the other. And now if you're patient, right, you're starting to learn what are their problems, right? And, and I always try and frame this. When I talk to a doctor or when I talk to a salesperson trying to get into my program, I still sell to doctors, by the way. I always start with things. I was like, hey, I'm going to ask you some really interesting questions. It may not seem related to what I do at all, but the more you tell me, it, it just helps me understand where you're struggling and how I can help. And, and it could be something completely unrelated to my product, but at least I can point you somewhere, right? You know, and again, it depends on your frame. So I'll, I'll relate this to my program. When someone signs up to get a free consult, and I'll leave a link for your listeners, I do free LinkedIn consults all the time. And so part of that is to get a consult on sales and LinkedIn. The other side is to learn about my program. I always tell people, look, what made you book time? So that's another good question. You sit down with a doctor, be like, hey, really happy we can both find time in our busy schedules. I know that I've been hounding you for a while and everything, but aside from the fact that probably you just wanted to meet with me because it's been, you know, I've been following up. Why did you take this meeting? Mm-hmm. Right? So the more questions you ask and ask me very good questions, the more you're able to reveal what are the true pain points? Like what's important to the surgeon, right? So maybe they talk about the problems, the pains, and everything. And then say, you can ask things like, you know, I noticed in your practice, you've been here for 10 years. Who do you want to become in like 30 years from now? Like what would, what would, a, what would your career look like if, about something you really want? And I know a lot of salespeople are going to say like, dude, that's a stupid, I'm never going to ask a doctor that. You should because nobody asks them that. People want to ask these questions where they can sit back and say, yeah, I've never thought about that. And a lot of times when they start articulating this, they self-induce into a hypnosis because They've always thought these things. They've never articulated them. Mm. It's quite a it's quite a scene when it starts happening. And at that point, you're getting all these variables that you can pick and say, okay, this, that, the other. And then they say, okay, uh, so tell me about your product. Now they've just explained everything that that's important. Let's just say it's a s- scheduling thing. Yeah, doctor, it's like here's my product. Here's the problem it solves. By the way, just on the scheduling thing, we this is how we schedule our cases. I go out of my way to make sure that all these pieces are in line before you even have to go to the case. I make sure mm-hmm. that 
anesthesia, blah, 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 you know, so now you're focusing on the thing that that's important, to them, even though it has not, it might not have anything to do with your product, right? That's Super the biggest simple thing. thing in sales is callbacks, right? Yeah. If someone's told you something, they felt it was important enough for them to say it. So if you call back, they, it does a few things. But the first thing it does is it recognizes that you're listening. And the second thing it does is it, it helps them kind of like and map their world to your product. Exactly. And look, be, you, if you want to be – what is a real consultant? A real consultant isn't just a master selling their stuff. They no. consult. So right. that's why as a, as a, as a, as a medical rep, a, a, when I was a med rep, a lot of physicians, a lot of surgeons really enjoyed sitting down and talking to me because whether it's through LinkedIn or through email. So believe it or not, back in 2013, the way I would try and get the attention of a doctor is I would put Google alerts on, uh, go through the um, uh, internet, and I would find like an interesting article and I'd say, hey, Dr. So-and-so, I know you've been trying to get him, get better about marketing your practice. Here's a really interesting PDF I think like your team would enjoy. Not my stuff. And so when you sit down with a doctor, you want it to be a person where they can say, here are my problems. And you say, by the way, before I tell you about my product, when it comes to this side, there's a couple of really interesting companies that just came on the market. I don't know them personally, but I'm happy to get information for you. So that way they don't bug you, but I'll get that information and I'll email to you. Right? Like let's say scheduling. Hey, you know what? A lot of these new SaaS companies have these very interesting HIPAA-compliant scheduling uh, solutions. Mm -hmm. Why don't I do this? Let me go and submit information. They're going to bombard me with, with callbacks and, 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 and follow-ups. Let me just get the information, and I'll forward you whatever deck, et cetera, I have to you and your office manager. Just let me know what, what their email is, and that way you can, take it, you can maybe find a solution. As a salesperson, I just made me the product – that much more valuable. So this widget that I have, I've just inserted Omar Khatib, this very helpful person who's going to do work. That's what a doctor wants. That's what any buyer wants, you know? Yeah, I mean, even, so especially in software, especially when you're selling, you know, well, what I sell is very similar to what a capital equipment rep sells. It's a big, big it's a big thing. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's not a physician preference item. It's like a, a, a a committee type of a decision. Um, and um, I, I, I think the most important thing that I can do is, um, you know, build a relationship with our buyers so that they can trust me. And I also um, respect that relationship in a way that if it's not the right solution, I don't want them to buy it. Like it's, no. it's, it's better for us not to, why? Why is it better? Wrong... Why is it better? Why is it better for them not to buy it? Oh, so many ways, but mostly because the downstream of a purchase is where all of the cost is incurred. If it's not a good buyer, then the downstream cost of that purchase is going to be so high. And not just in money ways, but like my team is going to be taxed more. The product direction is going to be taxed. All of these other downstream reverberations from that bad sale. You don't want exactly. that. You want to exactly. focus on the things you can do best, not the things that are going to be uh, immediately gratifying, but downstream are going to be significantly worse for your business. Totally. And like, look, um, you know, uh, another perfect example. So first of all, like salespeople have to understand the technology adoption curve, where people sit, and they have to think far ahead. Like, okay, I'm a salesperson. I found a hospital. I, I think with enough leverage and push, I can get them to buy this. But then you have to think like, okay, if I buy this and this is not the right buyer and I, this is just going to be expense, I'm going to piss off the hospital. The user is going to be pissed off. They're going to be just constantly harassing my customer success team. So that's going to, that's going to, that's a cost there. And then I'm going to, this is the thing that salespeople don't think about. They, you have to think quarters ahead, years ahead. I'm going to mess up my market because people talk. So when I try and sell to somebody else, I can't come back and, you know, and, and ask for that buyer to be like, uh, you know, to, 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 to essentially give me a testimonial. And, and then when that, uh, let's say that local buyer is like, yeah, can I talk to somebody in a local market? And, and I can say, let's say Phoenix is like, well, I got this person up in New York. They might say like, okay, that's fine. But like, I want to talk to somebody in Arizona. Right. You know, that physicians are very big on that. And, you know, these people, they run into each other in the conference. They talk like people talk, right? Um, and 
again, from the consumer world, you don't think uh, physicians uh, are, are afraid to go and post publicly about a crap company. I see it all the time on LinkedIn. Yeah, I see I see physicians posting holding an implant that they love. I also see physicians posting an implant saying this was a terrible idea. Right. Right. And one other thing I want to I want to mention just again. I, I don't want to give people advice. I just like to give people ideas, right? With the capital process, again, selling to multiple people, right? You can productize that process too. So you do this thing that I mentioned about uncovering pains, becoming a person of interest, becoming a, a, tr a trusted person. I, I've done this before with like really senior uh, surgeons before. I say, hey, Dr. So-and-so. I know you've been the chair of this department for many, many, many years. I get it. And you know how to get technology in. Do you mind if I just still walk you through my process of how we're going to do this? Like, I'm just doing my job. That's a great way to get off the hook. By, I'm just doing my job. They'll say, yeah. So then I start saying, I was like, I'm going to assume you know this, but I'm going to walk you through. And then I start teaching them like, look, here are some principles of persuasion. Here's how we're going to use those principles with each of these each of these parts of the process, right? Okay, va value analysis committee. Who sits on that committee? Oh, it's like this person, this person, this person. It's like five people. Great. Doctor, if there's one person, because social proof is big, but there's usually one person who's going to persuade the whole committee. Who is that person? It's this person. Great. Psychologically, are they more of a numbers person? Are they looking for an economic story? And they'll say like, no, this person's the uh, um, chief of nursing. And their biggest thing is like, if this is going to make the nurse's life harder, it get act. It's going to get axed. I'm like, mm -hmm. perfect. So now you're showing that you're not just some random salesperson. The surgeon has is starting to learn like, oh, like I didn't know about persuasion because none of them get trained on this, right? Right. And so now things that you as a salesperson have probably been trained on, probably not, but like hopefully you you do some self learning. Sure, absolutely. You, you should be at least interested in your profession a little. Yeah, right? exactly. You've you've now you're now productizing this thing. Again, when I was a rep, one of the things that I used because I couldn't make my product any different, I became a master at patient marketing. And so mm. every surgeon I talked to after the case, they're like, "Hey, can you come by the office and just spend time with me and my staff, just talk?" And a lot of reps used to get really pissed. Like senior reps, they're like. Like this, this surgeon's been my surgeon for 10 years. Why is he all of a sudden buddy, buddy with this kid? I productized myself. Yeah. You added value and you created a playbook, right? And so I think that's an important thing is how do you build these playbooks that you can reuse, right? Again, going back to software, cause I am a single book and it's, it's, it's a software book, no, no, yeah. um, but, but you know, playbooks are super important, right? Whenever we build anything. Uh, any process, like without a playbook, that process is, um, you know, doomed to fail, right? Um, but with a playbook, now I can teach someone else that process. And now that process is going to continue being in place. And so, 100%. 100%. And look, uh, the software people are going to get really pissed about this, but bear with me here. Let me tell you the biggest farce that exists in Silicon Valley. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you how this was essentially propaganda. There is a quote that Ralph Waldo Everson came up with. I was pulling this up because I wrote this. I wrote about this back in 2018 because um, it was so stupid. I, when I was living in Silicon Valley, I'm like, I got to write about this. One of my favorite existentialists. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> Transcendentalist. Transcendentalist. Transcend oh, yeah. Transcendentalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. A <laughs> um, hundred years, a little too yeah. early. <laughs> there's, there's a quote um, where it says, um, if, if you um, – uh, um, if a man can make a better mouse trap than his neighbor, the world will make a beaten path to his door. Okay. Mm. So this is the whole product led movement, make the better product. And like people, people will buy it. They will, they'll come to you. Well, let me just dispel that in 1928. There's a guy named Chester M. Woolsworth. Um, and essentially he lied. He essentially created this concept to, to sell, uh, what was it? Nails or carpentry. Right, um, and so this this whole thing was made up on a lie. Emerson never said that, right? Mm -hmm. And to, the other thing is that we live in a world where there's really two functions of business: innovation and marketing. And so there's plenty of products out there that are technically the best product. 
they're not the ones that get adopted. And so from the software side, there's too many people, especially salespeople, who rely just on the features and, and glitz and glam of the, of the software to, you know, sell itself. When in reality, that helps, but translating those features into not just the benefits, but the further point, which is like, what is the main advantage, right? Like, look, HubSpot, the fe a great feature of HubSpot, you get to put, you, you do everything within HubSpot, right? Uh, your, your campaigns, et cetera. That's the feature. Yep. What's the benefit of that? Okay. The benefit is that you don't have a Franken system where you're using all these things. That's where people stop. Here's the advantage. When you do everything in HubSpot and all, and, and you're able to do your campaigns in there, all the data is in there and everything. The advantage is every day you're going to gain time against your competitors and you'll be able to make faster decisions when the market changes. And when those changes happen, your revenue will climb. That's how you sell software, right? But a lot of times they just want to throw up it up and like, look at how beautiful our UX and UI is. If Isn't it great? It, they won't come. You yeah. have to tell, you have to tell them about it all day long, every day. And in lots of different ways. Exactly. And again, the more you understand the psychology of the technology adoption curve, the more the world makes sense. Look, you know, there are some people when it comes to software adoption, no matter what you show them, how many testimonials and case, which by everybody has testimonials and case studies, they might be sitting in the mainstream market where their thing is, I'm going to adopt this when I know that these fortune 500 companies, at least one of them adopts it. And I see like a couple integrations because I don't want to adopt something that's going to go away right away. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like I'm for software. I'm one of those people, right? My, right. my biggest thing is that when I adopt software, I'm like, um, this is a great thing. What does it integrate with? And how I actually check how much money have these people raised? Cause I don't want to adopt mm -hmm. something, build my processes around it only for it to go away for yeah. other things. Right. I'm like an innovator. Like there's some, there's some, uh, LinkedIn automation tools. I'm as like, I'm as much of a pioneer for that as possible. I don't care if it integrates into nothing. I'll use it, you know? Right. Yeah, it, and it depends. Again, that's, it's an interesting fit of, of the product to the need, right? Sometimes the product fits the need so that you need to integrate it with other products, and <laughs> et cetera, and sometimes you don't need that need. It's a, it's a point solution. And, and can, I, can, I, can I riff on something that really pisses me off about the software world? <laughs> Since I'm Absolutely. assuming it's not just medical, but like software people are listening to this, um, the medical device world, it has its own problems and I, and I, I beat them cause I love them. Right. These are my people, but I spent a, a little over a year in software a, long enough to understand, to, to understand it. I can't handle the fact that in software, these salespeople are, are man, they're not sales warriors. In my opinion, there's some of them are really, really good. But man, I'll tell you, I don't, it just does, it, it, it's beyond me where I see there's an account executive and that account executive has an SDR BDR that does the outbound cold calling, booking calls, qualifying, et cetera. Then the prospect cuts on and the same account executive then has to invite a sales engineer because they're not good enough to do the demo. Right. And then when it comes time to closing, they bring another person. Look, you have all those people. Great. If you're a real salesperson, all hell breaks loose tomorrow. You should be good enough to do the whole thing from end to end. Not saying that you should, but you know what, man? Like when the apocalypse comes, layoffs happen, and you don't have your BDR, SDR, you don't have your sales engineer, what are you going to do, right? I just think that sales is very much like a professional store, sport, and there's a lot of training that goes into, into it. You're planning. How do you wake up and start your day? How do you study your market? Do you know everything about it inside out? Last thing, and, and I'm a bit of on a, on a rant here. But like, look, these software salespeople, even the SDRs, I got called a few months ago by four, uh, three different SDRs who left me a voicemail. And I'm just going to call the companies out. I really don't care. One was Zoom Info. One was Seamless AI. And the other one I can't remember, but I'll, I'll remember it. They all left me voicemail. Oh, I saw you downloaded our PDF, which must mean you want me to buy our stuff. That's cool. I don't mind that they did that outreach. Do you know what pisses, pissed me off the most? If any of them were smart enough just to take one moment, I'm not a doctor, I'm a marketer. So of course I'm going to be online. And they just went and looked at my LinkedIn profile to say like, 
who's this person I'm talking to? Because if he answers the phone, what am I going to tell him? They would have seen one post. And that post was me holding my newborn baby. And they all three of them, by coincidence, called me the day my child was born. What a mm. bunch of losers. Just That's very interesting. C, C players, man. Low yield. So, so, <laughs> so the meta point here is before making the call, do a little bit of research. And the call is going to be more valuable. And man... Yeah, it's it, it's not it's not even brain surgery. Be man, be a student, be a student of the game. You have to act like a CIA agent because I tell look, whether it's software sales or med device, everybody wants the same thing. Is like, man, if I can just get a hold of this prospect, okay. You you walk into a building, your prospect shows up, you get stuck in an elevator for two hours. What are you going to talk about? What are you going to tell them? You're going to start with, oh, tell me about your business. Yeah. Like, I, let me tell you, a great way to get your ass handed to you by me is get on a get on a on an intro call to demo your product, and you ask me, tell me about your business. When they start by saying, "Hey, I did some research. I know that your business involves this, that, and the other," um, but I would like to hear it from you. Like, tell me about your business, man. Happy to do it. But if you di if you didn't take the time and the respect to research me, calls over. I've I've ended calls. I'm like, look, I, I mean, don't have I time to. To, 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 to teach you, you know? As, especially with a physician and even especially with a CF, CFO of a hospital. Oh my God, yeah. Those guys I mean, don't have a lot of time for you. If you get into that room, you only have one chance. And if you, if you, if you don't take it, you're, you're, that's the last chance you're going to get. 100%. Look, I got one, one more pearl for everybody. There's a, there's a directory, you know, there's a, there's a directory called the American Hospital Directory, AHD. I think a subscription costs like 800 bucks or something for the year, but you can get a lot of information on there. You can look up any hospital in the country. It's a terrible user interface, by the way, but you can get all this data on like the number of procedures they did or like uh, acute kidney injury rates, all these things, how much money they spent. Even if it's outdated by a year, pull that and think like, okay, when I talk to the doctor, maybe I can show some of this data and relate it to the clinical data or if it's a software company, like just find something where somebody goes, Wow, I didn't know that. Map the product to the need. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. It, absolutely. It. Versus trying to find a way to just like force the product in. Like, or yes. making the user do like, you know, it's kind of like, look at how cool our stuff is. And then I or the user has to do some like, you know, uh, thinking, be like, uh, I think I can maybe use this. I don't, you know. Uh, Omar, I, I I wanted to say thanks so much for uh, for participating with this. I know it, we've we've uh, we've talked already for an hour, and um, you know you and I have talked about this before, and our conversations are are very similar to this. Maybe we should start a podcast. But um, yeah, that's totally but, down. Uh, but um, I really appreciate your time. Um, love the energy, but also love the you know like the really great tactical information that you've shared with us today. Um, we're going to put all the links um, to, to your program uh, below. Um, any parting words uh, for our listeners for 2023? I know this is recorded on December 1st. I don't know when it's going to come out, but certainly it's going to come out before the next year. Uh, any parting words for us? Yeah, parting, parting words is a couple, couple things. Number one, be a student of the game. Be a student of the game. How do you start your day? How do you plan? How do you train? Um, stop spending money on, on BS, like invest in yourself. When was the last time you bought a book? When was the last time you spent money on a course yourself? Right. Mm. And then the last thing is sort of a, a, a mantra that I like to live by as a business owner, especially as a marketer, but as a salesperson too. think like a scientist, act like an artist, think like a scientist in the sense that be objective, detach your emotion from things is what you're doing actually working. If it's not, change it. Spend the money you got to spend to change it. Go get the coaching. Um, sit down. Just realize you have a problem, right? There's, there's no, there's nothing to be emotional about it. Right. And then, th and then act like the artist. What do artists do? Artists make art. It's not for everybody, right? It's going to offend somebody, right? It's not going to work. And so as a salesperson, as a market, as an entrepreneur, you're going to try things that are going to blow up in your face. That doesn't mean that you just stop. You don't just pack it in. 
if really radical example, but like it's a good one. Elon Musk didn't stop building SpaceX after the first, the second, the tenth, the fifteenth, the fiftieth rocket exploded. Even with the Times and all these media outlets just calling him a clown and an idiot and everything, he's making them eat their words. Right? You're not doing rocket science. You're just selling. So be an artist. Try things. You know, and 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 don't be afraid. Do things with courage. So those are those are my main parting words. Those are great. And the, obviously, like, not just for 2023, but for your life, you know. Uh, and I, I love that quote. Um, and the one thing that um, I especially love is the framework you put together for attention, time, and money. Thank no one you. Is gonna, no one's going to spend money on you if they don't give you time. And no one's going to give you time if, they don't, if you don't have their attention. Absolutely. Absolutely.